everything old is new again. America's entertainment pop culture talk show. It may well possess a rudimentary intelligence. I'm trying to think, but nothing happens. Of the great disturbance in the force. Hello, I'm Mr. Ray. Come on, Mark, like a dog for me. Where's the goodies? Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. I bet you wouldn't have done anything like this if Mom and Dad were here. You filthy criminal. Excuse me while I whip this out. Go ahead. Make my day. Here are your hosts, Douglas Viviani and David Cohen. From one of the most successful motion pictures ever made comes an exciting new television series, Planet of the Apes. Well, the Planet of the Apes is a world regenerating itself from our own civilization, mirroring in a strange way what's both good and bad about our own lives. And our two astronauts are going to find themselves in a world where evolution has gone completely haywire. Roddy McDowell, Ron Harper, and James Martin star in Planet of the Apes. Ah, uh, there we go. This is Douglas Viviani. Sends uh, our usual companion, David Cohen. Our Cornelius himself is not here. He's he's left at home to try to time travel himself to a world beyond this pandemic. But we have a terrific guest host this week, James Norton, who you just heard introduced a little bit there from a 1974 television show, The Planet of the Apes, uh, is with us after graduating Brown University and Yale School of Drama. James Norton appeared in a series of Broadway dramas and musicals. He won the Theater Award for his his performance in Long Dade's Journey into Night in 1971. He starred opposite Mary Tyler Moore in Whose Life Is It Anyway? And uh, in 1980, he won his first Tony Award for Best Actor in a Musical. In 1990, for City of Angels, he won uh, the second award in 1997 for his portrayal of the lawyer Billy Flynn in the musical Chicago. He's also directed his friend Paul Newman in Our Town, which was filmed for television in 2003. He's appeared in film such as The Paper Chase, First Wives Club, The Devil Wears Prada, and along the way in 74, he starred in that TV show we just heard, Planet of the Apes, alongside Roddy McDowell and Ron Harper. There's so much more, but we have to limit our time here in the introduction. We do want to talk and enjoy some time with uh, James Norton himself. Welcome to Everything Old is New Again, James. Hello, Douglas. Nice to be with you. Oh, that's great to hear. Thank you so much for spending some time with us, and uh, we're going to dive into a lot of different topics here. I just want to start off with theater. Uh, obviously, you are a uh, clearly a man of the theater that also has appeared on television and movies. Um, and these past few years, we've seen on Broadway, or I should say Broadway productions, go and be transferred to the movies, such as like Les Mis, Fans of the Opera. We've also seen like um, Jesus Christ Superstar, The Rent, The Wiz, Grease, so much more uh, come to television. And now we're seeing that Hamilton is next to come to TV on Disney Plus shortly. So I'm just wondering, what do you think of the development of taking the Broadway stage and trying to uh, broadcast that, whether it be uh, remaking them in television movies or and, and, and theatrical releases or television productions? Well, uh, I think it's worth a try. I think there have been different kinds of uh, productions of theater pieces over the decades. <clears throat> they... Uh, they used to do them where they'd, they'd shoot a live performance of a play, 
and uh, then maybe shoot a couple of little scenes so they could cut cut back and forth. But it never worked very well because I was always aware as an audience member sitting on my uh, on my couch in my in my house that uh, the the actors were acting on the stage, so they were elocuting. They were trying to raise their voices so that you could hear it in the back row. <laughs> and that didn't work very well for what the what I think uh, we're used to seeing with a film. When I directed Our Town, we did it uh, with, that you mentioned with Paul Newman um, and Jane Curtin and Frank Converse and Jeff DeMunn and a bunch of wonderful people. Um, we did it first at the Westport Country Playhouse on the stage, and then we did it for a limited run at the Booth Theater on Broadway, and then we shot it for uh, television. It was a masterpiece theater slash Showtime co-production. The only time that's ever happened. And I said, I don't want to. I don't want to shoot it that way. I, I want to shoot it using the uh, filmic technique that, that is available. So I called a guy named uh, Phil Abraham who was the cinematographer or one of the cinematographers for a little show called The Sopranos, which you may have heard of. <laughs> and I said, you want to do this with me? And he said, sure. So we, uh, we shot the, the play. Um, we we kind of made a, a sound stage out of the Booth Theater after we had closed. And for that week, we shot all those scenes with four cameras. Uh, Phil brought his whole camera crew from Sopranos. And so what you see is that when the stage manager in our town, played by Paul Newman, was talking to the audience, um, he was really talking to the camera, which means that he was really talking to you as you were sitting on the couch in your house watching this TV show. And it really worked well. Um, we were able to shoot over shoulder the way you do in a regular film. We were able to cut it like a film. So you were being told a story in a different way from the way in which you usually tell it on the stage, although we were actually using the stage as our, uh, the soundstage as our set. Right, and it was it was beautifully done. I do want to revisit that down uh, in a section or two from now in a little more detail, but that is so well worth your time, and uh, if you get a chance to look that up and, and rent it on, I guess it's on Amazon or YouTube and, and uh, so forth, it, it's a really worth your time. It's, an, it's a play that's an old standby, but done so well. And like you say, it's not like you've set up two cameras on, you know, and, and, and they're stable, and they just look at the stage, and you know you're on stage, but we're filming a production and it doesn't take you into the stage as if you're watching it as a as an audience member the way you did it it sort of is as if you're watching it as an audience member um and or interacting almost with like i say with a, a tv production too it just it really makes it come alive and and you've done that twice uh you know another in the reverse too though where you had a hit movie that then became a television show the paper chase you were in the movie and later was in the film yeah. right became a tv show and then of course planet of the apes which lasted a little bit one year um had such hopes let's just hear a, a clip here of a gentleman uh, mark leonard we have our uh, usual star trek reference every uh, show we have a star trek reference so mark leonard's here uh acting as general urko against uh, so to speak you in planet of the apes yeah. so listen to this for two seconds we have no choice urko we have to work together to dig ourselves out i don't work with humans i don't need humans you might 
Now, that show had the potential uh, to do episodes like that where the two different uh, societies, if you will, humans and, and apes, had to get along and understand each other because you had a common goal of survival in this uh, situation that you were in. Unfortunately, I didn't see the show, the writing of the show, do a lot of that or have time to develop a lot of that. I think it was only on for 16, 16 episodes, uh, and it became yeah. more or less chases and all. But I thought it had such great potential, including you know yourself, Mark Leonard, Roddy McDowell. You had uh, actors of substance there, too, uh, to perform this show. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Am I on the right uh, wavelength, or what do you think uh, went askew with that, uh, that show? Well, I'm not quite sure what went wrong, but um, I'm surprised that I'm still getting fan mail for that 40 years later. Um, I get two or three letters a week with photographs from the shows asking for autographs. And, um, yeah, it was only, it was like a half a season, a little more than half a season long. But the people who liked it sure do love it, and they have been incredibly loyal to it. I get these letters saying that uh, such and such, I watch it with my father. It's always been our favorite show together to watch. So we must have been doing something right for some of the people. And I tell you, it was if, an ex- I was going to say, it, I, was, an ex- it you, was an expensive show to run. For that's television. the thing. A lot of money invested, and they, and at that time, it was only what is it for three stations uh, nationally, and I think uh, they had it on a, on a weekend that, I, if I remember, and it was up against some competition. It just didn't have the chance to develop like in theory if we could time travel and bring that show here today i bet you there would be especially there was a revival of the whole planet of the apes series as well uh, with different lines and, and where it came from and how it developed and all that but still there was they were very successful it's a series that was hugely successful back in the day i if i had a time travel and bring it today and today's where all the different platforms and you had some time to develop i would not be surprised if that show was a huge hit and and, and went for for years because you'd have the ability to develop. They didn't give you time to develop the chemistry and and the writing. Like Star Trek, for example, all of these shows, uh, they give them two, three years, and they, they find their legs and they get going. You know, it just didn't yeah. seem like they, they didn't give it the time, which is a shame. Because I was yeah, one of those kids that loved that show in the series. Yeah, I think that's. I think you're right about that. They they pulled the plug on it a little quickly. And that happens sometimes. It does. Um, it does. And and we're pulling the plug now, unfortunately, on this conversation for this section. But don't go anywhere, because we're going to be right back with James Norton right here on Everything Old is New Again. You're listening to Everything Old is New Again, America's entertainment pop culture talk show with Douglas Viviani and David Cohen. And the Tony Award for Best Performance by a leading actor in a musical goes to James Norton, Chicago. This is James Norton's second Tony, having won in 1990 for City of Angels. Welcome back to Everything Old is New Again. Two-time Tony Award winner James Norton is with us today. We're talking uh, about lots of various topics, of course. He was uh, well-known uh, to uh, you know to audiences in New York and, and anyone that visited New York uh, to see these uh, shows that he's been in. And, uh, just tremendous performances, and, and we'll talk about those in a few minutes. But first, I wanted to talk about, because you had mentioned Paul Newman previously and how you had directed him. And for understand, uh, you were friends uh, or 
friendly with him behind the scenes or behind the camera. And I'm wondering how that friendship developed and, and what it was like uh, in terms of, you know, his, his friendship with you during the through the years. Well, it was it was wonderful. We met. Uh, we lived about five minutes apart uh, in Connecticut from each other. And uh, I I did a production of Tennessee Williams, The Glass Menagerie up at the Williamstown Theater Festival in about 1984 with uh, Joanne Woodward, with Paul's wife, and with Karen Allen, who was a recent uh, guest of yours, I understand. Yes. And um, then after we did it at the in Williamstown, a year later, we did the production again, this time at the Long Wharf Theater in New Haven. And on the last night at Long Wharf, I thought, well, this is the, it's been a wonderful experience to do this show with these wonderful people. And I walked in, and Joanne looked at me, and she said, uh, I was thinking, I was feeling badly because it was going to be our last performance. And she said, we're going to do a movie of this. We're going to make the film. And Paul's going to direct it. You want to be in it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I said, well, uh, yeah. And uh, we made the film of The Glass Menagerie in New York at the Astoria Studios, uh, Kaufman Astoria Studios. And that's when Paul and I got to be friend, really close because we were working together. And we we remained friends for the next uh well, for the rest of his life, the next 20, 25 years. And, and you both uh, are rather philanthropic. We we are familiar with some of the things uh, that you're involved with. One that i do not sure is something that is so uh, well-known as it should be. So I wanted to talk about the Hole in the Wall Gang Camp, which I believe yeah. was founded by Paul Newman in 88 for the benefit of children with life-threatening diseases. Uh, and you're on the board still to this day. So um, yep. before we go in there, if you want want to look up information about that listening here hole in the org, and you'll see more information about it but please tell us a little about uh, what this organization is doing well paul had uh, he had founded newman's own food products before that paul had, he used to make uh, salad dressing and give it to his friends because it was pretty good and he knew how to make a, a really good tasting salad dressing and some of his friends would say hey you know you should sell this stuff well, Paul, being an entrepreneurial sort of guy, said, yeah, that's a good idea. And so they started bottling Newman's own salad dressing, and it took off. And then the next thing was it was popcorn, and then it was something else. And, well, I don't know how many products they have today, but it's a huge business. And he did all this, and the money started to roll in, and it was in the 80s. And he woke up, when he told me, he woke up one morning, and he said, i got to figure out what to do with all this money that's coming in because he obviously didn't need it. Right. And he had, a, he had a friend, a family, who had a child who was suffering and died from cancer. And he saw what it did to the family, and he saw what it did to that child. It robbed the child of his childhood. And he, one morning, he woke up and he said, ah, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the proceeds from Newman's Own, and I'm going to start a camp for children like this friend. And give the kids a chance to go to camp. Now, in order to do that, you had to have a huge medical staff and facility, and it had to be, you had to be able to handle any kind of contingency because you were going to have children who were very, very ill. And so that's what he did. And he took me up there. We founded the first camp in 1988 in Ashford, Connecticut, which is still going strong. Uh, and he took me up there while it was being uh, constructed, and I've been involved with it ever since. But now there are probably 10 or 12 camps across the United States. There are camps in England, Ireland, France, Milan, Budapest. Uh, there's the Israeli camp, Israeli 
uh, Palestinian camp for children who were ill called the Jordan River Camp. But if you go to uh, if you go to the Hole in the Wall Gang Camp org, you can follow. I'm speaking to to all of your listeners. You can follow where these camps are, and they are spectacular. Um, what they have done. We've now uh, spread out. We realized very early on that a family that has a child in, in in this kind of condition is a family that's in crisis, and so we've started pl- programs for families uh, to support them and give parents an opportunity to talk to other parents who have children with these kinds of uh, needs and it, it's a huge support system for them and it's really uh, start, i'm going to say started, it's really, yes really necessary for sure but go ahead you started we've we've started sending people into hospitals hmm. from maine to washington dc all up and down the, the eastern coast now uh, it's called the hospital outreach program we call it hop and we have people who go in and work with children who are stuck in hospitals. Sometimes a kid will be stuck in a hospital for six months or a year while he's fighting these terrible diseases. Sometimes they win and, and they survive. Sometimes they don't. But it can be very, very difficult and stressful for families to have a child in that situation. And so we send people into the hospital to work with the kids, to bring a little joy into their lives, to do art projects and crafts projects, and have a little fun. And it's become, uh, we've got hospitals now all over the place who are asking us. They've been talking to their colleagues in other hospitals and say, can we have one of those too? And he started all this. So it's it's a pretty wonderful organization to be affiliated with. And it's whole, if you look up, if you're looking in the internet for it, it's... Starts, H-O-L-E, right. whole, whole, the Hole in the Wall Gang. Camp. And by the way, uh, movie buffs will recognize that name because that's what they called it from the Butch and Sundance Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid movie. That's right. Butch Cassidy was in the Hole in the Wall gang, and that's where he named. That's why he named it that. It's an amazing uh, charity. Now the thing is, if we buy salad dressing, the Paul Newman salad dressing to this day, which is all over the place, are some of the proceeds still going to that uh, facility? Well, it's a misconception that a lot of people have that the Hole in the Wall that that Newman's Own supports all the camps. That's not true. Newman's Own supports, I don't know, a thousand different charities all over the world right. trying to trying to bring clean water to people in, in, in Southern Africa. I mean, all kinds of stuff like that, fighting disease in, in countries like that. But we, we depend upon uh, charitable donations. So that's why I people say so get, it's important to go to that website, holeinthewallgang.org, and you can get involved that way. Yeah. And there's all kinds of ways to do it. People have bike rides. They have people run marathons for a hole in the wall. They have uh, people just give money to it. Or they go and visit one of the camps that they're near and become hooked. Because once you see what's going on there, if you're looking for a way to make a difference for for people, the world, this is is a wonderful organization. Sounds great. And that's uh, Paul Newman himself there. Let's listen to a little bit of Paul Newman as the narrator in 2003's uh, Our Town. I think the best, to me, the best performance of Our Town uh, that you you can find. But here's a little piece of it. You know, scholars haven't settled the matter yet, but they seem to think that there are no living beings up there. Just chalk and fire. Only this one is straining away. Straining away all the time. Trying to make something of itself. But every 16 hours, the strain gets to be so great that everyone just lies down and takes a rest. 
What a, a great performance and a great uh, play. And I just want to ask you, because we'll go into this a little more detail in the second section here, but with respect to Our Town, uh, it is a play that is quite, uh, was, for years it was played all over the place in high schools and so forth, and, and people used it, used it as uh, teaching and so forth, and, and it was just a great payoff at the end. But the question is, to, for you as a director, and maybe for Paul as, as someone that was want, wanted to get involved with that play, what, in, to, in today's world, a play that was written so many years ago, I believe in the 30s, um, how does it still speak to you and to us to this day? It's an interesting question, uh, Douglas. You know, right after 9-11, Joanne, who was at that time the artistic director of the Westport Country Playhouse, called me up and she said, uh, we, we, you know, we were, cl- we were very close and we talked about stuff together and we'd done plays together and we, we lived down the street from each other. She called me up one night and she said, Jimmy, you know how I've always wanted to, to do a production of Our Town? And I said, yeah, you've talked about that. She said, well, I think now, more than ever before, it would be a particularly wonderful thing. We kind of need, I think people would need to see a production of Our Town. This was right after the 9-11 disaster in New York. And um, I said, I think that's a great idea. And she said, and Paul wants to play the stage manager. And I said, you're kidding. She and I had been after him for 20 years to try to get him to do something on the stage. And he always said, no, 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 I can't do that. I can't, I can't do that anymore. But I said, he does? And she said, yes. And I said, wow, that's wonderful. And she said, and, and we were wondering if you'd like to direct it. So um, that's how it happened. And it was a particularly um, really uh, important thing that, that Thornton Wilder was talking about. It puts in perspective what life is about and what the stakes are and where the beauty is. And we have to try to remember every once in a while or be, uh, be nudged to try to look at it and take a couple of deep breaths and see what's really important and that's what the message of our town is and by the way now is a particularly great time to and maybe you know we could all use a a, a couple hours with thornton wilder uh, because of what we're going through right now I agree, and unfortunately, we just have a few minutes here, I mean, a minute to say goodbye, uh, <laughs> to go to this commercial break, and we're going to come back sure. and continue talking about that, because it's a, an important work, and there's more important work. Uh, by the way, don't forget, holeinthewallgang.org. We'll be back right at this, and everything old is new again. Now, back to America's Entertainment Pop Culture Talk Show. Everything old is new again with Douglas Viviani and David Cohen. Let's talk a little business. He's witty. That's right. Charming. Yeah. And oh so unreliable. I don't know what you're talking about. Broadway leading man James Naughton interprets the gospel according to Randy Newman, whose songs have delighted and infuriated audiences for decades. I burned down your city. James Norton, The Songs of Randy Newman, next time on Live from Lincoln Center. 
Something else to look up uh, these days. We can almost look up anything on uh, YouTube and Google and what have you to find all these uh, performances, which are great. We're back here on Everything Old is New again with James Norton himself. And I wanted to just finish up for a moment before I get into talking about City of Angels, which is uh, something that, uh, believe it or not, uh, some people don't realize Larry, Larry Gelbart wrote, gentleman that wrote uh, MASH, Tootsie, Funny Thing uh, Happened on the Way to the Forum, so many things. Uh, but before I get there, I just wanted to, because I can cut you off a little bit as we were talking about and finishing up talking about our town uh, and the significance of it to this day. So I wanted to let you uh, finish your thought there on that. Well, what what he what he's talking about, what Thornton Wilder uh, was writing about was there's a f- fantastic scene where uh, all the people who have died in Grover's Corners are up in heaven and they're talking about what life meant to them. And uh, the choir director um, says, uh, he's the cynic in the group, and he said, people never take enough time. They just blindly go on, and they don't really un- appreciate w- w- the, uh, the importance or the beauty of what they're looking at. And he said, and, and the next thing you know, you're dead, and you, you never got a ch- chance to really appreciate you know, what, what life should have been for you. Those kinds of, <laughs> those kinds of sentiments, they're... They're fascinating things to ponder. Um, they're, bi- they're big questions. And uh, so that's one of the beautiful things about it. And, and he's, you know, Thornton Wilder tells this story in, in this little town, fictional town called Grover's Corners up in New Hampshire, where people are close to nature. And, and it happens a long time ago where the, the milkman is, has a milk cart that's being driven by a horse. But I don't have to probably tell your listeners this. I, I, w- I, w- I was probably the only adult who had never seen a production of Our Town before I worked on it. How about that? I had seen it uh, on television years and years ago in the 70s with Bobby Benson, Robbie Benson, and I didn't stay till the end. I was a young uh, man and uh, just didn't... If, if you don't stay to the end of that, it, it doesn't see, it doesn't have this gravitas. But it's almost like, uh, if I have to say it's to define it, Mayberry meets the Twilight Zone, if you will. Uh, <laughs> and if you want to put it into a short sentence, if you're interested in either of those, Andy Griffith Show or, or Twilight Zone and Paul, believe me it's got some gravitas it lasts especially this performance lasts with you for a long time and should and basically bottom line let's live for today and for theater to give you that kind of a message and appreciate every moment of your life uh is to me is the you know kind of gives us the importance of theater and the difference that theater can make sometimes versus television versus movies versus books everything has its place but uh, uh and that's now drama with respect to theater you were of course involved with musicals in theater and one of them uh we're talking about before when we introduced this section city of angels again you won a tony for that you had a little bit i don't know if this is um uh, well known but playbill.com had a virtual reunion there with you and uh Greg Greg Edelman and Randy Graff and, and Rachel York and uh, D. Hody and uh, yeah. it just went on and on. All the parties uh, almost that were in this project and that must have been a lot of fun. But you must have missed uh, certainly Renee, as we all do uh, from Star Trek: uh, uh, Deep Space Renee. Nine. You know Ray Obejwan. Obejwan. There you go. Yeah. And uh, you know he, I met him a number of times. He was believe it or not, he was in. Um, he was the first. If you anybody going to go back here to seventy two, the first person that voiced Spider Man 
in a rock. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it was a rock comic. If you look it up, The Amazing Spider-Man, a rock comic from 1972. Uh-huh. It was terrific. I guess maybe I was 10, so uh, it maybe had more significance because of my age. But I, I brought that up to him at a convention. He's such a nice man. He had so much time. He was, you know, so little time. He's signing autographs at the autograph. I bring that up to him, and he spent some time saying, wow, take a look at this. I haven't seen this in all whatever it was at the time, 40 years. And he spent some time, and he really was engaged with it and, and was happy to, to see it. And I, I ended up giving it to him, and, I said, and he was so uh, gracious and so nice. And I'm sure uh, that's the way he was when he was performing with you. But maybe tell yeah. us a little bit about uh, Rene and his relationship to your other cause, that you're, you're, you know, important, an important cause that you're thinking about and trying to get um, the message spread for the right to die with dignity. Yeah. Um, my wife died seven years ago last month um, of pancreatic cancer uh, after a four-year battle with pancreatic cancer. And so I've been trying to help uh, her doctor, who is an oncologist researcher uh, at Norwalk Hospital in Connecticut, uh, try to find an early diagnosis for pancreatic can- cancer. It's about to become the number two cancer killer, second only to lung cancer, mm. because uh, it is a silent killer. You don't know it's there until it's too late, and by the time it's discovered, then you're stuck with a you're you're diagnosed with a stage four, a lethal, fatal cancer. And Renee uh, had uh, lung cancer and um, just died a few months ago. And his wife Judith, um, we we were friends ever since we met in doing City of Angels in New York in 1989. And uh, Renee Renee said that the, the email that we all got, his friends, when Judith sent it out, she said, "Today, uh, surrounded by uh, his wife and his loving children, Renee was able to end his life because, as he said in his own words, he was lucky enough to live in a state." that recognizes a person's right to die with dignity. He lived in California. Um, there are nine states and the District of Columbia that currently have this on their books. The first was uh, Oregon in 1997, so we have a long paper trail uh, over the, uh, of how this has been handled, and it has not been abused. And um, I'm trying to get this law passed in, in my state, in Connecticut. I went up and testified before the legislature last year we failed by one vote to get it out of committee, out of the public health committee. And we were ab- I was about to go back in March and testify again. And we, we, we thought we had a chance at getting it uh, passed. And then, of course, the, vir- the virus hit and everything got canceled. So I'll be back there next year trying to get this done for my state. I think it's a shame that it has to be done state by state because um, people, families who have loved ones who are suffering... Uh, understand the need for it what what would be the guidelines in other words not to get too much you know into the details we don't have a lot of time but what are the guidelines what would you be asking for the law to say to when would someone be permitted to basically uh, i don't know what you say die with dignity pull them their own plug so to speak or you know not continue well it, it it's been going it's been done now for 23 years in in oregon and in and, and Washington and California and Maine and Vermont and New Jersey just passed it last year, so there's a paper trail of this, and there are rules, and there have to be a couple of doctors who will sign off on this and say that the patient who is suffering and wants to end his life is uh, has less than six months to live. Uh, he has to be 
uh, diagnosed as someone who's not just depressed, et cetera, et cetera. Hmm. If you, if if your listeners would like to go to an organization called Compassion and Choice, they can read all about it, get all the information. Uh, that's the organization that I'm working with to try to get it passed in my state, and I think it will be. It's just it's sort of like pulling teeth. I mean, I know I know a lady who spent her whole career as a hospice nurse, and she lives in Connecticut now. Uh, she's going to have to move to New Jersey because she she needs the help. She's got stage four metastatic lung cancer, and she and she is suffering. And it's just at the time when you you shouldn't have to move from your home and from your friends and your neighbors and all the people who are your support community. But that's what's that's the situation we find ourselves in with regard to that issue: compassion and choice. Right, and his website for that one is CompassionAndChoices.org. I'm sure if you look right. it up on Google, Compassion of Choice, you can find it. But if you want to go directly right. to it, CompassionAndChoices.org. And uh, we're here uh, talking with James Norton. On, uh, James, I wanted to, uh, and I don't know if we have a lot of time, we can, we can begin the discussion here, just pivoting yeah. a little bit, since we've talked about musical theater and we've talked about drama, um, and they're two different animals, so to speak. But when I go to theater in locally here we've got some terrific local theaters and of course we have new york city right around the corner from us um, here in um, i'm on long island um most of what i see these days are uh, productions that are musicals and I, I certainly understand that that would bring people in uh when people aren't uh you know necessarily familiar with a particular play but they recognize a song or two or what have you um but my postulation i'll leave this with you and we'll come back after the commercial break is that it seems to me that plays right now the dramas and the comedies are taking a, a, let's say a second uh, bench so to speak uh to the musical and i wanted to know how you felt about that since you've been involved involved in both and to me i think there's a place for both but i want to see the resurgence if we can of the drama and the comedy but we'll discuss that with james norton when we get back right everything old is new again This is Everything Old is New Again, America's entertainment pop culture talk show with Douglas Viviani and David Cohen. I can't ask you for your number and say that I'll phone. I can't call you and ask you for a date. Well, I just thought I'd better explain the situation in case you misunderstood and I hurt your feelings. You won't call again? No. Welcome back to Everything Old is New again. We're hoping that you will call and listen uh, all the time again and again <laughs> every week right here on Everything Old is New again. We're talking this week with James Norton, having a great time talking about theater and, and more. And uh, the question I have there is that's a little piece of Glass Menagerie from 1987 where Paul directed you, Karen Allen, again, who's from Raiders of the Lost Ark and Starman and so many things, Joanne Woodward, uh, Academy Award winning actress, and of course the, uh, the wife of Paul Newman. And she was in, uh, if anybody's interested and remembers, Three Faces of Eve. She she got an Academy Award for that. And, and John Malkovich. I'm sorry? 
three faces of Eve. Yes, and uh, so yeah. it's it's just an amazing uh, production, and again, a drama that carries some gravitas and really is a great uh, great look to, into a, a, a project that uh, exists has existed for a long time, but sort of redone in a in a nice way. Now the question is, as we just left off in the last section, theater drama slash comedy we'll put them in the same group versus musicals and is do you think my postulation at least the the premise is correct that we're seeing a lot more um, musicals than drama and comedies these days and if so what do you feel about that do you think uh, there's a place for all of them or are we phasing one out to our detriment well i don't think that either one will ever go away the the pendulum swings, and I guess you know musicals are a little more escapist entertainment than dramas. Uh, but I sure hope that there's going to be a, a good strong drama and a great strong musical. I, I'm kind of a, a a book guy. I love I love material. So uh, for me, the best musical is one that also you know engages my mind and my heart. And in addition to the foot tapping, uh, you know, Larry Gelbart wrote that wonderful stuff. In City of Angels, and I got to play this film noir genre detective named Stone, who said things like, just one look and you could tell a Laura Villiers was a handful, maybe two if you played your cards right. <laughs> she had a face you could hang a dream on, a body that made the Venus de Milo look all thumbs, and only the floor kept her legs from going on forever. <laughs> I mean... That's pretty good material. That's know. that's great stuff. What a great writer he was too, huh? I mean, yes, he, he did was. so many great things, and and that's what that musical is so different because it has uh, you know a Hollywood section, it has a black and white section. You go back and forth, and you, it's it's hard to describe. You really need to take a look at City of Angels if you can, if it comes uh, around, and or I don't know if we we have it on Broadway.com and, and other things to. to I do. think some of that. Some of the stuff that we did that, that you can actually see, I just found out about it the other day, is on YouTube. If you Google, uh, if you go to YouTube and, and uh, search for City of Angels uh, Tony Awards, because we did a presentation on the Tony Awards, and you get to see the part of it's in black and white and part of it's in color and some of the music and yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, so original. And, uh, uh, you know, it's interesting how th theater also tried to help us through this time as well a little bit where I think Andrew Lloyd Webber on YouTube a couple of Fridays in a row were releasing productions that Broadway productions of his works to watch at home because in this, these days we, we really can't get out and do things and get to the theater I'm dying to get back to it I, I love you know I, I don't mind I like seeing it in the theater I don't necessarily love it too much on television although I love the live television aspect of it but theater is theater I mean I, I you can't always go to Broadway to see the, the play but you can go to the local uh, you know establishments even the high schools just to see the intimacy of it to, to get the you know the possibility the theater the, the, the thrill that they could be somebody could make a mistake or oh, wow that voice uh, is a tremendous voice that's been undiscovered and there's just so much to the theater that people uh, can enjoy and, and just get out there I mean really it, high schools to, to to Broadway and everywhere in between there's always something I think positive there, that you can get out of theater there's just great theater going on in regional theaters all across the country um, I mean I, I've worked in lots of regional theaters and some of the most rewarding work that I've ever done has has been in places like Williamstown Theater Festival or the Long Wharf Theater in New Haven, places like that. 
And we've got yeah. one in, in the Angerman Theater in uh, Main Street, East Northport, the renovated old movie theater. And that they've, It's now terrific. It, it's got the best sound uh, that there could be. It's about, a, I don't know, 750 to 1,000 person theater. And there's not one bad production. They're bringing in some actors and actresses from New York City, but also local people. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's just, it is an option that people sometimes, through, and we're broadcasting throughout the nation. So, you know, if you're in uh, Des Moines right now, I'm sure there's a local theater company uh, there that you can don't forget that when the doors open and we can get out and do our thing it it is something that's really worthwhile especially with the family to get out and just experience something different and you'll always remember I think you'll always remember that experience mom and dad and the kids going to see some theater experience you know yeah, I agree with you. Okay, now we now you do some of that. Once in a while you see uh, our friend Karen. We're going to say our friend because we've made friends with Karen Allen a little ways back. Uh, she We had her on the show. And she was so gracious and nice to speak with us, and, and we had a great discussion. She was a, sort of the same mindset of myself in a way, and I think of yours. With respect to drama comedies, they have something to, the good ones, of course, have something to give to us that lasts with us. I think musicals like Les Mis, City of Angels, and others do also have have that although there's a lot of fluff in the musical uh, world as well but there's a place for all of it um you've acted in both and maybe this is a really bad question but i'm going to throw it at you do you prefer one versus the other i've only really done three musicals i loved my wife in 1990 in 1977 city of angels in 1990 in chicago in seven in 97 i kind of like do one a decade um I, I, in my in my experience, I've always preferred plays. But that having been said, there is a, there is something to be said, you know, for the the musical. And the reason I think I've always in, I've preferred plays is because you're not locked into a format as strongly as you are in a musical. Because in a musical, if you and I are playing the scene and I'm saying the, these words right now, then in 11 seconds. Uh, we have to say it the same way every night because the music's going to start on this cue and we all have to be together. Do you, do you understand what yes, I mean? Yes, that's interesting, yes. And whereas in a play, the thing that's always been fun for me is they call us players, right? They say the players. Well, it's sort of like playing a team sport where you and your playing partners can... We know where the guideposts are along the way in this scene. But the way in which we get there could be slightly different. I don't mean we have to change the words, but we can time them differently or we can do a a different kind of an an action while we're doing them as long as we get to that guidepost together at at the same time. And something comes pops into my head. That must be some way that uh, actors like yourself are able to perform, uh, let's say, the dramas over and over again, like if you're on Broadway or in some production that is, let's say, five or six times a week of the same words. Oh, eight eight times a week. Eight times a week, right? Uh, So, yes, if you don't don't change it up a little bit, I guess, or the other way is by changing it up, that may make it come alive for you every single performance, I guess. Well, trying to figure out ways to keep it alive right. is, a, is a challenge, and that's the deal. And when, if you're working with people who also can do that with you, it's kind of like dancing, you know? When you get out there to dance, uh, uh, I mean, just recreationally, you know, if, you, if you've got a good dance partner, you can do stuff that it's not planned, you know? Right. And, and it's sort of like that with, uh, 
with acting if, at, at its best, I think. Now, let me ask you this, because there's a lot of people that have children that are, are listening by, and uh, I ask this once in a while to people that have performed, but no one is better to ask than yourself uh, in terms of, um, when we were growing up, when I was growing up, it was the activities were basically sports, and that's it, kind of for boys and girls, maybe scouting for girls, and, yeah. you know, not to be sexist, I'm not familiar with what girls were doing back in the 70s, you know, too much, but there was limitations. Now, we've got so many other things for children to do growing up including i mean theater in my world right here we get uh, bombarded by advertisements by probably five different theaters and i'm not saying it in a negative way i'm saying it in a positive way for activities for children to join the theater club or to you know to practice I, and whatever so wh- what are your thoughts I, I, about I th- that I, th- I think i can yeah i know what you're going to ask me people ask me all the time they have children who want to go into the theater or they want to act and i always tell them the same thing i tell them the same thing that i told my children which was, okay, you want to do that, fine, but you go get an education first. If you want to act in college, fine, you can act in college, but study something real. Get a real education. Study English, study French, study psychology, study anthropology, study history. And if you want to act, go ahead and do it. I mean, I was recruited to play soccer and baseball when I went to college at Brown University, and I did that for two and a half years before I even got involved in the theater at all. And then after you get an education, get some training. Go to a theater school, NYU. Uh, all, there are a lot of great theater schools now. And when I when I graduated from college, there was Yale Drama School, there was NYU, and there was Juilliard. And those are still three of the best. But there are all kinds of other wonderful uh, theater programs that people can get master's degrees in, uh, as I did. Uh, and then go to work. And also, I would say and, that's great advice. I'm running out of time. I apologize, but uh, great advice. In my point of view, I would say also is, and it gives you a confidence. It gives you ability to public speak. You don't have to become a professional uh, if you're 10 years old and you're interested in just trying it and so forth. Boy, it, it, un, the acting it unto itself lends you and gives you some skills that will help you in other areas of life as well. Public speaking, yeah. There you go. And by the way, and by the way, at its best. It's fun. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. That's, it's fun. That's the whole thing of it, and we love it. So we've had a great time uh, speaking with James Norton. We thank you so much for spending the time with us. We'd love to have you back in the future. I'm going to uh, throw that out at you. But in, in a long story short, is thank you so much for spending time with us here on Everything Old is New Again. Thank, and wish thank you all the you, best. Douglas. Yeah. My pleasure. All right. Well, Go ahead. I'm just going to say it's been a pleasure talking to you, and I'm really happy to have covered some of the subjects that we've covered together. Excellent. There's, there's plenty more, so maybe we'll have you back in a little while and, and explore some more right here on Everything Old is New. We'll be back right after this next week to continue with Everything Old is New again. Everything Old is New again.